Well, good morning, everyone. It's very nice to be together today on the Lord's Day and to be gathering around God's Word. We're going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're reading from verse 15 to 20. 1 Corinthians 1, 15 to 20. One of the early hymns of the church, one of the most astonishing passages declaring Christ's supremacy. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Christ is the image visible of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Let's bow together in prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together in your presence today. And Father, we just pause to think about the world in which we live, with all its issues and with all its difficulties. Our Father, we pray for all those who today are working in our NHS and all those who are working in medical throughout the world as they try to cope with this COVID crisis. Father, we pray your blessing upon them. We ask that you would give them the strength that they need. So many are desperately exhausted and wearied by all that they've had to do during this time of pandemic. So would you draw near and comfort them and strengthen them. We pray for those who are in hospital today suffering from COVID, not just in our country, but we think of countries across our world. And we're very conscious, Heavenly Father, of those countries in which health services are stretched to the absolute limit, where people are turning up at hospitals and are not able to be treated. Father, we think of places like Nepal, where the health service there is in real crisis. We think of India with all the countless numbers of people who are struggling. We think, Heavenly Father, of the growing increase of COVID sufferers in Bangladesh. Father, as we think of these countries, we think of others just like them. And Lord, we pray your help. We pray, Father, that um, the World Health Organization might be able to uh, gather together the strength of the nations to help those who are most vulnerable and weak. We ask your blessing to be upon them. 
Father, we pray for all those who are mourning the loss of loved ones today. And our thoughts go to Florida, and we think of those many people who have been casualties in the collapse of this condominium. Father, our hearts go out to families who are waiting and hoping. But as hope seems to dispel, we pray that they would know your comfort and grace. Lord, for all those who are struggling and suffering today, we ask your help and blessing. We thank you for your church worldwide. We pray for all who are serving you throughout the world in different places. We think of missionaries who are serving you in hostile areas and for whom each day is an incredible challenge. We ask for your protection for them, that they might know your grace and strength. Lord, for us as we gather now, we pray you would speak into our hearts. We thank you for your living word, and we pray that you would feed us from your word, that we might grow strong in our faith, and that we might become fully mature, attaining to the full stature of the maturity of Christ. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A pastor was asserting his authority to the young Christian who was helping to lead music in the church, and he told him this, this is my church and my platform, and you won't be in charge of anything here. Same pastor told another Christian worker in the congregation who had been elected to the diaconate, you'll never preach here, this is my church. Another pastor refused to recognize that his elders were spiritual leaders, and he brushed them aside dismissively, saying, I'm in charge. I'm the Lord's anointed. Incredible though it may seem, I, I know that these are genuine stories, not ones that have been made up to make a point. And we've all been aware of individuals and groups within a local church who have dug their heels in to resist some proposal for change or some new ministry initiative with the attitude, it's my church, I've been a member here for 40 years, I don't agree with this, and even although the church meeting has voted in favor of it, I'm not going to let this happen. And so, warfare begins to break out within the local congregation, undermining its unity. Well, Whose church is it, anyway? In the words of the subject that I've been given for this morning, who's in charge of the church? The answer to that is clearly stated in our text verse, Colossians 1.18, where Paul says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. To fully understand this verse, we need to see it in its context. It's one of the most wonderful descriptions of the Lord Jesus in all of Scripture. It speaks about his supremacy or his lordship 
over creation and over the church. Norman Geisler, a well-known systematic theologian, said, No comparable listing of so many characteristics of Christ and his deity are found in any other scripture passage. So this is a unique passage within the scriptures. And in this passage, we cannot separate Christ's supremacy in creation and his supremacy in the church because they are complementary and they feed into one another, as the passage makes clear. But the passage climaxes in our text for this morning in verse 18, where Paul says, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. So as we seek to answer the question, who's in charge of the church? Let's turn to Scripture and reflect, first of all, on Christ's supremacy in creation. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation, for through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. This is a remarkable and powerful statement about the lordship, the headship, the word in Greek is kephale, the lordship of Christ. It is, as Dick Lucas says, the essential foundation of all Christian discipleship. The church at Colossae was built on this foundation. If the believers had denied Christ's preeminence, then they would hardly be Christian at all. Because Christ is the supreme Lord, he must be a sufficient Savior. Jesus is the supreme Lord in creation. And because he is the supreme Lord in creation, he can also be the supreme Lord of the church. The scriptures show us, firstly, that the Lord Jesus is the source of creation. In the prologue to John's Gospel, in John 1, 1 to 4, the very familiar passage depicting Jesus as as the Word, there John says this, In the beginning... The Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Jesus is the supreme Lord over all creation because he is the source of its life and its existence. He brought it into being. Hebrews 1-2 says, Through the Son, God created the universe. And Colossians 1-16 says, Everything, everything was created through him and for him. So the Lord Jesus is firstly the source of creation, but he is also, secondly, the sustainer of creation. Verse 17 says he existed before anything else. And here's the key words. He holds 
all creation together. It's because of Jesus that the universe functions the way it does. It's because of Jesus that the seasons follow one another with dependable regularity. It's because of Jesus that there are unchanging principles that you and I can depend on to live our daily lives. It's because of Jesus that life is sustained within creation, that we have the air to breathe and water to drink and food to eat. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. So the Lord Jesus is the source of creation. He is the sustainer of creation. And thirdly, the Lord Jesus has the headship over creation. Verse 16, through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth, made things we can see, things we can't see. Everything was created through him and for him. And here's the remarkable truth Jesus, as the source and the sustainer of creation, exercises his authority and headship over creation for the benefit and blessing of the church. Paul says in Ephesians 1, 19-23, the incredible greatness of God's power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms where he's now far above any rule or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ, and he has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body. So Christ's supremacy in creation is so that you and I belonging to his body, his church, might be blessed beyond all measure. So Christ's supremacy in creation. He's the source, he's the sinner, and he has headship over all creation. That's why Paul then moves on out of that to assert Christ's supremacy in the church. Professor William Barclay, commenting on this passage in Colossians chapter 1, said, The world is the creation of Christ, and the church is the new creation of Christ. Christ, who is supreme and in charge of all creation, is the Christ who is supreme and in charge of his church. And Paul reminds us the origin of of the church, first of all, is in Jesus. The origin of the church is in Jesus. Verse 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. The church is not a human construct brought into being by any human individual or through human imagination. The church is the new creation that has been brought into being by Jesus Christ himself. 
And Paul says in Ephesians 5, 23, Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. Now, as in Paul's own day, so in our day, many people view the church with a jaundiced eye uh, and look on it with scorn and skepticism. But Paul reminds us Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. We are the object of Christ's love. The church finds its origin in him. And after 2,000 years of human history, the church is still alive, and the church is still growing in the world. And it's alive because its roots are in Christ himself. And it's growing and is alive because Jesus is alive. It is his body. And therefore it is alive and growing, functioning and growing in our world today. And one day we know Jesus will return as the bridegroom to claim his bride, the church. So its origin is in Christ. And the life of the church, secondly, derives from Jesus. Because Jesus is alive, his life, his resurrection life, gives life to the church. Colossians 1.18 says he's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead, so he's first in everything. Paul speaking to happen that the Messiah would suffer and be the first to rise from the dead and in this way announce God's light to Jews and Gentiles alike. Through the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are saved from sin and judgment. We are forgiven our sins. We receive the gift of eternal life. And Paul in Colossians 2.12 reminds us, you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. So through Christ's death and resurrection, the Christian has received the new life of the Spirit. The church is the company, the fellowship, the family of all those who share in the risen life of Christ through the Spirit. This is the life that energizes the church and energizes the Christian, and it comes from Christ alone. And then thirdly, the authority in the church rests in Jesus Yes, the origin of the church is in Jesus, and the life of the church is from Jesus, and the authority of the church rests 
in Jesus. Christ is also head of the church, which is his body. Headship denotes authority. So Christ exercises supreme authority over his church. Matthew 28, 18, the risen Jesus says to the disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. He has been given all authority over creation and all authority in the church. Our task as members of his body, as those who belong to his church, is to submit to his authority and to encourage every new disciple to submit to Jesus' authority. Trouble is, many of us have a bit of a difficulty with submitting to Jesus' authority. We would much rather that we were the ones occupying the position of authority. We would much rather have a Jesus who simply endorsed and rubber-stamped our decisions rather than be challenged to submit to his. So this then leads us to the final point that we come to in trying to answer the question, who is in charge of the church? And the third point of this message is Christ's supremacy over leaders. George B. Caird said, Christ is the head over the church in order that he may become head over everything else. So who's in charge of the church? The Lord Jesus is in charge of the church. And not those who are called to fulfill the variety of leadership ministries that exist within the church. So Christ is in charge, not pastors. Of course, the church needs pastors. Indeed, pastors are God's gift to the church. Ephesians 4:11 to 12 says these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Exactly 47 years ago this particular month, I was ordained to the pastoral ministry in Baptist churches. So I'm not going to pull the rug under my own feet. <laughs> the church needs pastors, as the scripture shows us. But the pastors are not in charge. Christ is. The leadership ministry of pastors must be a reflection of the qualities and characteristics of Christ's own pastoral leadership. They must bear the hallmarks of integrity and humility and compassion and gentleness. Later in this present series, we'll look at the 
in depth at the subject of the under-shepherd in 1 Peter 5, 1-3. But there, Peter says to those who are pastors and elders and leaders within the church, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you'll get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. We are to honor and respect pastors who serve diligently in the church, but pastors are not in charge of the church. Jesus is. Their ministry must be exercised in submission to Christ and his will. So Christ is in charge, not pastors. Secondly, Christ is in charge, not the elders and deacons. Just as the church needs pastors, the church also needs elders and deacons. In Acts chapter 6, the apostles gave instructions about the appointment of deacons early in the life of the church. Elders and deacons were appointed in local churches to care for God's people and God's work. Acts 14.23 tells us, Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And in his farewell to the elders of the church at Ephesus, Paul said in Acts 20.28, Guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. Elders and deacons were appointed to exercise spiritual leadership of the church, leadership that reflects the qualities and the characteristic of Christ's own leadership. And we are to honor and respect elders and deacons, but they are not in charge of the church. Jesus is. Their leadership ministry must always be in submission to Christ, and it's his supreme authority and his will that they need to seek for. And then, thirdly, we need to say Christ is in charge, not church members. Every local church is made up of members who come from all different walks of life, different kinds of experiences in life, different kinds of gifts that can be put to use in building up the church and fulfilling Christ's ministry in the world. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. Now, as Baptists, we're committed to congregational government as our means of church governance, and we find strong biblical warrant for that in the New Testament. And Walter Sheridan, in his book on the Baptist identity, says this, a local Baptist church has the right and responsibility to run its own affairs under, this is a note, under the lordship of Christ. No bishop or pastor, no civil leader or magistrate, 
no religious body or convention of churches can dictate to the local church. Idealistically, Sheridan says, Baptists want the Jesus crowd, that's you and me, we're the Jesus crowd. Baptists want the Jesus crowd to be obedient to the mind and will of Christ. To say it another way, Baptists hope to implement the rule of Christ through the mechanism of the full participation of the congregation. Church members make up the local expression of Christ's body. And we must honor and respect one another within the local body of Christ. But we are not in charge of the church. Christ is. We need to keep this whole issue and view it from a biblical perspective. So if Christ is supreme over leaders and pastors and members in the church, how do we discern his will? How do we discover his purpose so that we can submit to that and work out his will and purpose in our shared life together. Well, that's a sermon in itself. Let me just give you five bold points that I think bring it all together. Think these through at your leisure. How do we discern his will and purpose? First of all, by taking the time to think issues through. God's people need to be given time to think through the issues they are facing so that they can clearly understand all that's involved. Now, in the early church, when a problem arose and a big decision had to be made, they called together the council at Jerusalem. But the apostles and the leaders gave the body of Christ, the members, time to think the issues through. I think, from my experience of having been involved with Baptist churches for a long time now, that's where we fall down. We don't give people time to think things through. And then, by taking the time to think issues through, we need also to take the time to listen to one another. You see, God speaks through our brothers and sisters. We need to listen to other people's points of view with courtesy and with patience. We need to try to grasp and to understand how they are seeing it from that particular perspective. So we need to take the time to think issues through. We need to take the time to listen to one another. And at the council in Jerusalem, time was given for all the views to be put forward so that folks could listen to those views. And then thirdly, by taking the time to listen to God. Having heard the issues, having heard one another, we need to take time to listen for the voice of God. 
What is Jesus saying to his church, his body? We need to turn to God's word to seek guidance and direction and wisdom from its teaching. And then fourthly, we need to take the time to pray. We need to spend much time in prayer because it's as we pray and pray over all the things that are before us, it's as we pray that the Holy Spirit works in our minds and our hearts and little by little draws us into alignment with Christ's will and purpose. And then finally, having thought things through and listened to one another and given time to listen to God and prayed so that we'd be open to be shaped by the Lord and brought into the place he wants us to be by implementing the Acts 15.28 principle, having heard it all, having met, having talked, having prayed, then, finally, after all that, the apostles declared, this is the decision, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. By taking these things seriously, we can discover the mind of Christ and therefore we can submit ourselves to his lordship. To say that Christ is the head of the church is no small thing. And you and I need to work at ensuring that Christ and his authority and headship is head not only of our lives but of our fellowship, our church. So who's in charge? Christ is in charge. Christ is also the head of the church which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. May the risen Christ be first in our hearts and lives and first in the life of his church. Amen. Let's bow together. Gracious Father, as we bow before you at this moment, we pray that the Lord Jesus would indeed have his rightful place in our hearts and lives. We acknowledge him as our head. We acknowledge him as our Lord, our Savior and our Redeemer. And now as we gather round his table, we ask that you would help us to celebrate his life and his death and his resurrection as we break bread and drink the cup. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
You may wish to just get your elements ready so that you can participate in the supper. Peter says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, but he has now revealed him to you in these last days. Christ paid the price so that our sins might be forgiven and so that we might be redeemed and be brought back into the heavenly family. When Jesus met with his disciples around that Passover table, he said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Lord Jesus, as we take this bread, help us to remember that your body was broken on the cross for us. And as we eat together in fellowship, help us to be thankful. <laughs>